Welcome back to another episode of Life with Alcohol and Drugs from the charity Scottish Families. So today we're joined with Rebecca McCall, who is the Policy and Research Assistant here at Scottish Families. And for the last few months, um, she's been working on a deep dive study of family support to gather an idea of the landscape of family support in Scotland and to gain knowledge of this from the perspective of the services themselves. Rebecca, do you want to share a quick summary of the sort of the purpose of the report and uh, what the key findings were? So the report kind of started, it was pretty much straight away when I came into Scottish Families, Justina kind of had this vision for the report. And this was sort of my first, I guess, task to to run away with by myself. Uh, So the starting stage, it was just sort of figuring out what we actually wanted to ask services. Um, And the reason behind it really stemmed from the Ask the Family report, which you you probably know more about than me, to be fair. (laughs) But uh, some of the key findings from that report, such as, you know, it took eight years for family members to come forward for support in their own right. On average, about 11 people were impacted by one person who was using alcohol or drugs. Uh, and the ADFAM findings as well, that approximately one in three adults and adults in uh, the UK were impacted by somebody else's substance use. So those were kind of the, the driving force for wanting to do the, the deep dive in the first place to find, kind of find out how these findings translated into how services felt themselves and to do a sort of thorough search about what is actually available out there on the ground for families because we have our service directory but it was just kind of doing a bit more of a, a deeper dive, you know, the clues in the names. <laughs> But uh, finding out a bit more extra detail about what services they're actually doing, what services they're providing, uh, things about, you know, their, their funding, um, what their capacity is like, uh, what they thought of the provision in their local area as well in terms of gaps, barriers, any overlaps and things like that. So sorry, out of the services that we have on our directory, I know we've got a whole range of services, but the criteria of the report was services that specifically worked with families. So that could be adults, young people, young carers, adult carers, kinship carers, just any service that worked with people who were impacted by alcohol and drugs. We didn't speak to any fellowships, probably make that clear from the get-go, because we know they're, they're really important for supporting families across Scotland, but thought it would be better. The sort of detail that we were asking would really be, you know, to, to respect their privacy, because we know that they are really private organisations. So we didn't, we didn't do that. So it was all third sector, or there was a handful of statutory services in there as well, but it was mostly third sector. Yeah, and we managed to speak to 36% of the services we spoke to. So out of that criteria, there was 135 services on the directory that met that. So 36% out of that took part in the deep dive, which wasn't too bad. So that was 29 out of 31 of the ADP areas as well that were included. So that was that was pretty good. We got quite a widespread in terms of areas in which services were coming from that took part in the deep dive. So the key findings were uh, sort of in terms of staff capacity, um, most services said that they felt understaffed and uh, they didn't have enough staff to meet the needs of uh, their community. Uh, there were considerable gaps nationally in terms of family support, especially for young people. That was something that came through quite strongly from more or less every local authority or ADP area, should I say. And that services felt really under underfunded and understaffed. And services were also quite difficult to contact, if we're, if we're being honest, uh, which was kind of an unfortunate finding, but it was the sort of reality of what, what we found. Uh, so, yeah, that's sort of that in a, in a nutshell. I know, it's it's something that's so needed, I think, this report, because it's all the stuff that we already know, but it's quite nice to just finally be like, right, we've had 
the services themselves have been able to come out and say, yeah, we're, we're underfunded or we've not got as many staff. So as you said, it is sad to hear bits and pieces of it, but there is quite a lot of them, um, quite a lot of good as well, because we do know that there is family support in Scotland. There's just not enough of it, unfortunately. The report is really chunky itself. Um, <laughs> I think 30 odd pages or something in the end um, so I'm sure people are going to love reading through it as well but so you've all got different sections you know you show you about your method and how you do that but there is this sort of the final section it sort of just looked at what services were telling us so sort of a wee bit of what you've already said um, but it focused a lot more on like the gap the overlaps and sort of the barriers that were coming up quite regularly with the services that you spoke to um, so for example we know that there's quite a lot of difficulty with getting people getting support in the rural areas compared to city, for example. Cities seem to have all the support, whereas rural, there's really not that much. And yet the major the major issue, I guess, with staff capacity, you know, because there's that whole quote of there's only so much one person can do, which takes centre point for this report. And it's, it is the truth. So what were some of sort of the gaps and the barriers that were, were coming up regularly? Yeah, like you said, um, I think areas that had both that sort of rural and urban max, like for example, Highland came through quite strongly from services that we spoke to up there. That um, just off the top of my head, an example of that was one service I spoke to said that you know they used to be one of three services in their area that provided support just sort of their sort of locality in Highland, but over the past couple of years they've dropped down to one, so that caused a whole lot of logistical difficulties for people who lived all across the locality having then been used to having that service kind of on their doorstep to then, you know, either having to travel or just not not knowing what was available elsewhere. I think services said that, you know, if you live in a rural rural area and there wasn't much locally for you, then not only did you have to maybe travel, but you had to be in the know beforehand what was available in the more urban areas. So you had to had to understand what was available in Inverness, for example, to be able to actually access that. So not only was you know, the sort of travelling issue, it was the knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. There was just a general la- lack of awareness of, you know, what's actually available out there for families in both rural and urban communities, to be honest. Uh, services spoke about, you know, certain medical services, like, you know, if you go if you go to the GP and you're looking for help, like a lot of general practitioners didn't know that there was maybe a family support service in that area and then weren't able to refer on. And there was just that total, it's deadlock of just not, you know, families maybe looking for support and not being able to find it because places that they were going to, which would be the, you know, the first thing that would maybe pop in their head, I'll go and visit my GP, they didn't have the, the knowledge or the awareness that that support was there. And linking in directly from that would be the link of infrastructure that a lot of services brought up as well. Like there was just no, in some areas there was, which was one of the positives that came from the report, but in a lot of areas there wasn't, there was just no strong links between say family support, alcohol and drug services, other services like social work or GP practices, things like that, like those links just weren't in place and that was causing a lot of disconnects for people, like services themselves who were trying to work with maybe different members of the same family or who were trying to work with the same individual and you know everything was just getting lost in translation and you know, things like that uh, and the fact that there was no out of hours services as well came through quite strongly. Um, going back to that theme like lack of staff capacity staff kind of felt like you know if they were the only person in their area who was providing that support for that person or a whole load of family members to be honest depending on what their caseload was like there was that awareness that you know they were working nine to five and then 
once they clocked off, there was nothing there. You know, if something happened out in the nine to five, they were aware. So in a, in a personal sense as well, there was nothing for those families, which is, you know, it's a lot for one person to carry on their own shoulders, you know, in work and out of work as well. Just general lack of options. Um, some areas had maybe one option for families to go to or they maybe had like one option for adults um, one option for young people so a, lot, a lot of places had no options for young people but there was different types of services if that makes sense but there was maybe you know from what from what I, we've kind of discussed in the past is that family members quite like to have that choice you know whether craft works for them or smart family and friends works for them you know everyone's different and it can be family support can be quite an individual experience but if there's only say a craft group in your area and you don't really feel like that's gelling for you it's not working for you you maybe prefer one-to-one support but there's not that option then services noted that as an issue as well but then that again directly linked into staff capacity because just because one staff member has the capacity to run a group, for example, maybe don't have the capacity to see people one on one, things like that. So staff capacity really linked into more or less every other gap that there was, if that makes sense. Uh, again, bereavement and support for special support for men or dads uh, came through quite strongly as well. But again, that also linked into staff capacity because services said, you know, we'd maybe quite like to run a bereavement group or we'd maybe quite like to run a support that was men only, but we don't have the time or the resources to do that. And the same came from stigma, to be honest, as well. Um, services said that they were very aware that stigma was really quite strong in, in their communities, but they just didn't have the resources to, you know, go out there and try and, you know, make themselves more known in the community, make, you know, increase that awareness and in turn try and help, you know, break down those barriers, just kind of make make more of a space in the community, if that makes sense. But they just didn't have the capacity or the resources to do that yeah even when you're thinking of people when they can finally find that family support but then there is the stigma that sort of hinders them and, and stops yeah. them from being able to to do it and even just when you're saying about the city support like the highlands is huge yeah. so if you were only getting support in Inverness but you lived in Wick or something you know that's a, a huge drive to to get to these support um, services that would be sort of the only thing that's available to you so there is a bit of a postcode lottery I think is what the quote that we always say um, yeah. when it comes to it you might be in luck or you might not be in luck depending on on what your preference is um, of just where you live and what support you can access. It's quite interesting how all of the services that you spoke to they were all saying really similar things yes. you know there was not really that much of a major difference between what they were saying there was always as you said the lack of infrastructure the staff capacity that was sort of the driving force behind what was being said is there was just simply not enough people to deliver family support and there was also bits of family support just sort of getting put on at the end of somebody's job and that was becoming something that they had to do um, and we always say sort of family people deserve family support in their own right you know that that should be a complete separate branch of support for people. There is also quite a wee bit about, and so in the report itself, when you talk about like the out of date information, so that's always been a major problem um, with um, the family members I've spoke to over the years. You know, they've always said, you know, you go on a website and you get this information, and you phone the number, and nobody's picking up, and nobody's or nobody's there. The phone number no longer exists, and the details haven't been updated. 
So that adds another layer of sort of anxiety and frustration onto people who are finally feeling that they're able to get support. But just thinking of the sort of outdated information, if we look at the pandemic and the major impact that's had, so we know services, just some of them could not could not carry on when the pandemic happened. A lot of people were put on furlough, but that people's problems didn't stop. In fact, they just exa- were exacerbated and so people were desperately looking for help. Um, I'm not sure if in the report if the pandemic came up quite a lot, but was there anything that the services that you did speak to were sort of telling you of the impact that it had? Yeah, it was definitely relevant. I think, as you were saying about those, you know, barriers, out-of-date contact details and things like that, I came across that myself as I was trying to reach out to services. Uh, either it was out-of-date or it was just incorrect, there'd been a typo on the website or something like that or the the mailbox wasn't being checked because staff were working from home and that hadn't been changed over to an an email address that somebody was able to access also from home. You know, loads of different things like that that got in my way. And I can imagine if you were a family member who was seeking support in that situation, that would be really disheartening. And I was just trying to have a, a brief chat with the services. I wasn't, you know, seeking support. So those kind of barriers were definitely in in my way, which are, of course, in family members' way as well. But in terms of other things related to COVID, you know, as well, I did find that some services had disappeared and, you know, they they seem to have ceased to exist since they'd last been checked. So they were obviously changed and removed from the directory. But um, some new services started as well. I think the way services worked really changed as well. Uh, some services noted that, well, actually, the majority of services, 69%, said that they were now doing a blended model just because they found that it worked best for them now and they were able to sort of see what their family members' needs were and adapt to them. Um, it kind of made, a lot of them found that it made the service sort of inaccessible but also more accessible at the same time, if that makes any sense. <laughs> It's sort of a bit of a double-edged sword, but some some services found that some people absolutely hated being online, hated phone calls, and there was also the issue of just having the privacy at home. You know, if your loved one's at home and you're needing support because you're impacted by by them, then trying to get privacy to get a phone call was incredibly difficult in the starting stages of the the pandemic for some people, and some people just didn't like being online at all, just preferred face to face, didn't like Zoom. Can understand how some people feel sometimes <laughs> with that, but. Some people just didn't like that at all. And it was also quite inaccessible for for older people who maybe didn't know how to use Zoom or Teams and things like that. Services found that they kind of lost touch with some of their older family members and, you know, they were trying to phone them and, you know, they just weren't engaging because they they just didn't like it. And then on the other hand, services found that they reached a whole load of people that they never would have reached before because, you know, having, you know, support in the privacy of your own home, you know, on your phone, on your laptop, whatever you were using, it was so much more accessible for people to just, you know, type in on the website and just log in. And, you know, it was, it was the support was there in the living rooms, if that makes sense. And a lot of people preferred that as well, found it maybe more comfortable or easier to access. You know, could switch your camera off, change your name if you liked, if you wanted to be anonymous, that sort of thing. So it kind of it completely changed how a lot of services decided to work going forward. And as I said, 69% decided that they were going to keep that blended model and see people face to face if that's what they wanted or see them online if that's what they wanted, just because they found that that sort of worked, worked best with the people that they were working with. Yeah, definitely, definitely a bit of a positive and negative. I look at it, as you said, positive in the sense that so many more people 
were coming um, that maybe not have went to the support service before and getting support. But um, I know because there's quite a lot of people that I spoke to that just they really miss that face to face contact. And we know that there's quite a significant impact that face to face contact can have um, for people when they're reaching out for support. You never know what the next few years will, will look like for support. <laughs> it might drastically change for the better or hopefully not worse. There was also a wee bit that you'd mentioned about the sort of the, I've just been hearing it myself a lot more sort of on Twitter and um, it's the families campaign for change as well. It's the need or the the demand, I would say, for an out of hours um, service because you were saying a lot of places work 9am to 5pm and then that's it. Sadly, that isn't how people's lives work. You know, we don't stop at five and all of our problems stop. Our helpline obviously is open till about 11 at night and it runs out of hours at the weekend. But was there anything that was coming up about an out of hours um, service? Was there any support services that were actually doing that or was it just maybe a a lovely thing that they would they would wish that could happen? Yeah, most services said that that was a thing that they would they would wish that would happen. I think services mostly said that, you know, it was the struggle of trying to get cover for those hours and, you know, sort of logistical challenges that that would cause in their own service. But they were already aware that that's sort of something that needs to happen. And a specialist service like that, if that was to be funded in their area, then, you know, that would be fantastic. And that, that was really something that they would advocate for. But um, a few services were working sort of night calls and things like that, just so that people who were working, like sort of what loads of our groups do, mm-hmm. you know, to chat to people in the evening if that's if that's better for them. Um, but other than that, no, it was just sort of something that would be really desirable. <laughs> yeah, it would be a lovely thing to have. But fingers crossed that it could happen because, you know, you do have a lot of 24-7 helplines and yeah. they work really well. So you never know. Hopefully there will be there will be one of those in the future um and just still on that sort of section was there any sort of positive things positive stories that were coming out because we do know that there is a lot of services that are doing an amazing job and they are doing the best that they can was there any sort of positives that were coming out yeah there definitely was I think the overlap section was where most of the positives came from although there was you know little bits of negatives here and there about you know sometimes communication not always being the best between services in a local area but the majority of comments for that section were overwhelmingly positive you know services spoke of working together really strongly and building up really strong partnerships Um, like I said before you know if different services were working with one family or different members of the same family a lot of services were able to build up those really strong partnership links and you know put in whatever was needed to be put in place that was best for that family and decide who was best to do what for that person and services said as well they spoke with you know loads of different types of organizations if the individual they were working with had you know a range of other needs like they spoke with women's services or LGBTQI plus organisations, you know, just depending on what that individual needed. And, you know, it was really easy to to work together and, you know, because at the end of the day, they all wanted what was best for the, the individual. And, you know, it was really important for them to make those links and make sure that that, that happened. And another thing that came through really strongly that was quite positive, you know, most services had nothing but good things to say about uh, community link workers and locality teams as well who were like specialist locality teams for example um there was a locality team in angus that had been specifically commissioned for 
uh, kinship carers, which was kind of discussed as a, as a gap as well, but I forgot to mention that earlier, but support for kinship carers was something that came through quite strongly as a gap as well. But that team's apparently worked really well to try and fill that gap for people who are kinship carers who are going through sort of extreme changes in maybe quite a short space of time. You know, the young person who's coming into being cared for by somebody else and the kinship carer who's becoming into that caring role, you know, trying to support them in that big transition. Um, they, that was one of the, the biggest positives as locality teams and community link workers who are trying to support people to get the right support when when they needed it. Excellent. Yeah, it's definitely collaboration, isn't it, and working together. I mean, we know that um, through Scottish Families work, there's so many good things happen with collaboration. Mm-hmm. So that's good. I'm glad that there's positives, <laughs> though, because when you do read through it, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, just, I know. <laughs> Yeah, don't want to always be negative and, and things like Even though it's important to, to raise those issues, you still want to make sure that there is people that are doing an amazing job at the same time. Um, you mentioned it really briefly earlier, but there, there was something major that came out with young people, that there was next to no support for young people impacted by someone else's alcohol or drug use. Um, it seems it's quite strange because obviously it's children seem to get a decent amount yes. of support but when we look at people that are in their sort of late teens or their early 20s the people that you know they've left school and, and whatnot that there's just no support that's available for them I mean obviously we've got roots in eastern western Bartonshire which is for 12 to 26 year olds but that's only in eastern western Bartonshire just now was there anything that the deep dive report was um, finding out with that sort of support for young people in that age range? Yeah, definitely. I think more or less when I asked about gaps, more or less every single service I spoke to acknowledged that there was a big gap there for specialist services for young people who were impacted by somebody else's alcohol and drug use. And a lot of services also mentioned that there was a gap for young people with their own substance use as well. There was just a sort of massive, you know, murky water there for young people who were impacted by their own and by somebody else's substance use. But most of the services that we did speak to supported adults, it was 52%. So I guess that's kind of reflective of what the answers were for that, because services that were supporting adults were able to identify that gap pretty easily, that you know there was something missing there for young people. I think from speaking to other services, I would say Roots is definitely something that's quite unique across Scotland. Yeah. Like There's not really anything else like it. And I think they've managed to get the balance right there because obviously the age of a young person is quite wide between 12 to 26, but they've managed to get it right for the ones who are like maybe 12 to, to 18 sort of, who really enjoy that, that group work and that peer support and, you know, getting, getting out and about and working together and getting that type of support, but also, you know, catering to people who are in that maybe 18 to 26 category who wouldn't really fit into you know they wouldn't really want to Mm -hmm. hang about or wouldn't feel at home in a place where like you know 12 year olds 14 year olds things like that it wouldn't really be the right place for them to get support but then also don't maybe want to seek support from adult groups who are more catered towards say maybe parents who have got children or you know partners where they may may be impacted in a different way whereas it could be their parents or they could be a sibling and the dynamics just different if that makes sense so Roots has been able to support them in a way that's comfortable for them on a one-to-one basis, like the way that, that they would like. But, you know, sort of from what I what I could gather from the report, services felt like that was a really big sort of grey area, that there was no sort of 
transition for maybe people who had been in a really good youth group when they were younger to then getting them into an adult service for family support. There was just no solid transition there that would that would that works, which is a, a massive gap in that area. In terms of like their own substance use, services spoke about you know long wait times for CAMS and there was nothing really in between and there was just you know just a massive gap there like there was really nowhere for young people to go in general like across Scotland for any sort of issue whether that be they were impacted by someone else's their own or it was their mental health there was just a, a big grey area there if I'm being honest that most services identified and thought it should change in their local area. It is it's always um, sad to hear of that information that comes out because it's also quite a that age range is it's quite you need to sort of get in there first because there is a lot of young people that have had to deal with a lot of trauma and and things like that and when you're saying you know there's nothing really for them it's or when if there is stuff but you're you're waiting months and months and months in that huge waiting list um it is quite frustrating i would say there's like a lack of specialists as well i think something that came through quite strongly was you know carer centers are there but it's not, I mean, the care centres that I spoke to themselves said that, you know, there's definitely an issue with the language there. You mm-hmm. know, people don't see the care centre and immediately think, you know, that's for me. That's me. Yep. Because there's that whole conception of a carer that's somebody who runs baths and makes tea and all that kind of stuff, which is what I, loads of carers do and all that stuff's really important. But it's also about the emotional impact mm-hmm. of people who are impacted by alcohol and drugs, for example, and that, that worry and the you know the impact that it has on young people and adults as well mentally but it's not really clear when you look at you know the carer centre you you would think that's for me so it's about sort of I guess helping people identify that they could actually access that service but then at the same time services also acknowledge that stigma plays a big part there because you know young people in particular might not want to access that service because they know that there's other young people at that service who maybe have other things going on and then they don't want to have to disclose what's going on with them because, you know, they might not understand, which is what Roots does really well, because everyone's all in the same situation and they know they're not going to be judged and they can talk about what goes home, what goes on at home if they like or they, or they can't. But they all know that they're they're there for the same reason, if that makes sense. But at the carer centre, it's a completely different dynamic. So that was another thing that came through really strongly and services really acknowledged that themselves. Yeah, I mean, that is really good to hear. I think there's always such a big difference when you think of support group sessions. There is, even though you're there for the same sort of issues that you experience, and there is a big difference between a parent who's worried about their child and then a young person who might be worried about their parent. So that is quite, yeah. it is a very different sort of uh, dynamic, as you're saying. With the pandemic, if we're looking at it as a positive way, you know, there is more online support and there is more places sort of like through social media and things like that you know not being stereotypical about young people using social media but um there is that sort of further options there for helpline web chats as well are definitely becoming um a lot more popular and i know in our web chat um with the helpline you know you get quite a wide range of ages come to it so yeah gaps as always but need to think positive <laughs> um, and do with that um 
So just to sort of finish up, in the deep dive report, there is quite a few recommendations for change. And obviously, at Scottish fans, we love a recommendation for change. I think every single report we put out has just got, here's the changes. Um, and these sort of recommendations in this report, it's really wanting to improve the experiences that families are, are going through when they're trying to, to seek support, when they're trying to initially uh, reach out. Um, do you want to maybe share some of them? Not to obviously give too much away sure. um, for people that want to read it um, and just chat through them because there is some there is some really specific ones, but there is some really good ones that you know it can easily be achieved. Okay, so one of the easiest ones I think to start off with would be that services really need to make sure check their website regularly, make sure make sure that everything's accessible and up to date. Um, you know, I think it's really important that when families are reaching out for support that that experience is really seamless and you know there's no dramas with you know incorrect contact details you know things like that you know with for me it was quite frustrating so I could only imagine how that would be for a for a family member and it's something I think is really quick and easy to do uh, and also try and make sure that there's a range of options for people getting in touch you know those people have different accessibility needs and things like that so it's kind of like not, not that our helpline should be all and end all but you know we do have the the phone line the web chat you know you can email if you like like there's plenty of different options I think that's really important to make things accessible for people just so that everyone can reach out in, the, in a way that's comfortable to them yeah so I think that's probably the the easiest one <laughs> yeah uh, other ones that might be a bit more tricky uh, for increased funding I think that was one of the ones that came through really strongly um and single worker posts as well instead of single worker posts you're funding for more than one person because from what services were, were saying you know it was either one person doing it on their own or one person was doing it as part of a wider role and maybe half their week was dedicated to family support or it was the group was run by a volunteer only that was brought in to do that and you know things like that there was just a lack of specialist teams that worked for families and worked with families the number of families in a local community you know if you take that figure one in three adults are potentially impacted in the UK by somebody else's alcohol and drug use you know it kind of puts into perspective what one person is having to try to potentially you know to do in one local authority far exceeds the capacity for one person and again you know just helping services that are already there scale up a little bit and give them the funding that they need and that they deserve Another one that's probably the contents of the, the report that was released in December. I think it can I can understand when things get released in December, you know, everyone's coming off for Christmas and that kind of gets dumped in your inbox. A big report about families that can be about oh, and things have maybe fallen by the wayside a little bit. But I think that report about um, well, the, the full title, Families Affected by Drug and Alcohol Use in Scotland, a Framework for Holistic Whole Family Approaches and Family Inclusive Practice. So that was sent out to ADP, should be really, you know, thoroughly read and carefully considered and you know with progress closely monitored as well just to kind of make sure that that whole family approach is really being followed and that you know what's written in the policy is really being delivered on the ground for families um because sometimes that doesn't always translate to what people hope it will so I guess yeah just making sure that policy is translating into practice I uh, would also really advocate for some of those stronger connections between services locally to build those networks because that was one of the biggest positives that came through from the whole report was that areas that had those networks in place seemed to be you know really pleased with how they were working and they seemed to be working really well for each other to kind of get that peer support as people who were working with families but also for the families that they were supporting as well because they were getting 
the best experience because everyone that they were working with was working together. So, yeah, those are sort of the main the main um, recommendations. Or some of them might take longer than others, but yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And as I said, you know, you can read the full report when it's available because you know, as as in ways, it's scary for what's going on, but it's also it's really it really lays out the current sort of situation of family support in Scotland. Thank you. Thank you for, for coming on. This is your first podcast with us. So. <laughs> but yeah, so thank you so much. And of course, congratulations as well, because this was sort of your first bit of work that was just sort of thrown <laughs> at you. You appeared and it was like, here, do this. And now it's um, now it's here and it's it's exciting to see um, where it's going to go forward with. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. We are here to support you if you are concerned about someone else's alcohol or other drug use. We can chat, offer listing support and information and link you either into our own services or services local to you. Contact our helpline on 08080 10 10 11. Email is helpline at sfad.org.uk or you can use the web chat on our website at sfad.org.uk.